listening to the Leadership Woman podcast with me, Jill Savile. And today I am interviewing a good friend of mine. You'll tell from his accent that he's not from these parts, he's not from the UK, he's from South Africa. And he's going to be talking, amongst other things, about a book that he's recently published called Decision Point, a book that I have read and I've gone through and done the exercises, so I've done my homework, he's, he'll be pleased to know. Um, Dieter Janssen is uh, a coach, a leadership trainer, uh, like I am. I let him say a bit more about what he does. Uh, but we met through the John Maxwell team, so with no further ado, I'll just welcome Dieter, hi, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, thank you, Jill, and uh, great to be here. And, and we were just chatting before about where we met, and we actually met online first, didn't we? That's true. We, uh, we in fact, were coaching each other for a number of months before we actually got to meet each other. That was all audio calls, if I remember right. Oh, really? It wasn't even video? Yes. Yes. And so when people say to me, oh, well, I like to be coached in person and everything else, and we do like to do our coaching generally face-to-face, but certainly with COVID, we've proved that we can do things online and build up relationships before actually meeting people. Because I certainly felt I knew knew you before I actually met you, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yes. uh, In fact, um, I probably do most of my coaching work is online and is, in fact, just audio, not not even video. I find I um, I'm more engaged and more um, kind of focused on the person. And I always think it must be helpful for the person on the other end if they're having a bit of a meltdown that you don't have somebody sitting there staring at you. So, um, yeah, seems to work well. Um, I have a number of clients that I've actually never met in the flesh. And I agree with you. I wouldn't have thought that we could do this without the video, but I recently did something with the Neuro Leadership Institute, which was about brain-based coaching. And they recommend that you don't have the video at all, so that Mm. you purely listen. And I noticed that that got good results too. But even though people can't see us, I can see you because I've not seen you for so long. I think it was nice to have the camera on. So, <laughs> so let's right. jump then to your book. Yep. Decision Point. And the thing that I liked about this was that you had so many supporters who, when you said, well, I want to write a book, they, they were encouraging and somebody even published it for free the first run. Am I right? Or have I made I, that up? Yeah, I, one of my clients who then became an employer, in fact, I, uh, I, I tend to get quite um, engaged with some of my clients. And because of my background in manufacturing, the uh, printing industry client, uh, I actually worked for him for um, a number of years now recently. 
part-time initially and then full-time. And during COVID, uh, that whole relationship came to an end, as many things did. And, um, and it was then that I wrote the book. And when they heard that I was doing that, he said, well, he insists on printing the first, doing the first print run at no charge. So shout out to Shimani RSA. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, because there's so many people who who write books and then can't get them published. You know, I, yeah. I saw even this morning somebody on Twitter saying, uh, I've written four books, not managed to publish any of them. Should I give up? So, <laughs> But this is your first book and published. Yep, first one. I, I'm, I'm not sure whether I've got any more in me because this one took about 30 years of just ideas that when I eventually put them on paper, it just flowed. It took six weeks and it was done. Um, uh, and I loved the whole process. But um, yeah, there have been ideas that have been running around in my head for a long time. So I'm not sure what a second book would be like. <laughs> no, you're not sure what's left. And I certainly did feel that you'd put everything in it. Do you want mm -hmm. to talk about the, the design of it? Yeah, the, the basic idea is, is twofold. The first one is the why. I just feel, you know, it's, it's almost like we're missing role models out there. If we look at all the big leaders that we normally think about in our current view of the world, they're a little bit thin on the ground. But the fact of it is, is that all of us are leaders of our own lives and we impact the people around us. So if I'm going to be impacting the people around us, that means I'm going to take my own actions a bit more seriously. Then the second part is the detail, is, is what exactly is it that I'm trying to tell people. And I feel that all of us are made up of a bunch of decisions. You know, we, we get born with a bunch of ideas or ideas that get drummed into us as we're kids and, you know, listening to your podcast on International Women's Day the other day, there's a whole bunch of decisions you made based on things that you believed at the time. And it's to question those beliefs and whether those decisions are really true. So our decisions on the one hand end up um, bringing us to who we are uh, or who we want to be. And at the same time, they also reveal who we are at a particular point in time. So that all sounds kind of esoteric, but the book, fairly practical, boiled it down to eight points of things that we inherit, 22 decision points that we probably all have to make at least once in our lives. And those decisions reveal our character, our foundational beliefs, how we behave, how we show up. If we know about them up front and we can kind of devise a strategy, which this book allows you to do, then... Um, you know, hopefully we do better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> and I think both you and I are trying to pass, pass things on so that other people, it doesn't take them so long. I think that's, uh, that's my yes. primary aim too. You said that there were foundational character and behavioral decisions. And you talk about building a house, clearly the foundations yep. are the foundation. Um, right. Remind me, what are the walls? The walls are your character decision points and oh. the roof, the behavioral decision points. There's certain foundational things that are my core convictions and nothing's going to shake those. On top of those, uh, there are decision points that reveal or define my character. Um, those are really more our values. 
And then lastly, our uh, behavioral decision points are the roof structure. Um, those are decisions that are very often circumstance driven that depending on what the circumstances are, we may go in one way or another. It's just to really highlight the differences because very often we have a, okay, if that happens, we're gonna do this. But that's a black and white view of a very gray world. And um, I think we have, to, we have to meet the gray with uh, a little bit of empathy for both sides. Yes. And one thing I liked about this book amongst many was that you use your own stories. You consciously yeah. used your own story. And I know that when we've been, certainly in the John Maxwell team, it's very tempting to quote John because John is well-known and his quotes are well-known. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of on purpose because if you open most leadership books, you will get similar stories of the same people and it's Mother Teresa and John Maxwell and Gandhi and Mandela and 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 they are inspirational and I don't want to take away from that but we to a large extent heard it all before but it's sometimes the smaller stories of people you can identify with help a lot more so it, that on the one hand was to make it more accessible and the second point is a lot of this is talking about foundational beliefs, characters, and all that. And I know my own story a whole lot better than anyone else's. So using that for authenticity's sake is to say, you know, as we know, it's hard enough to be honest with ourselves and to really reveal all of that. So <laughs> to try and pull out somebody else's character has got to be a whole more difficult. Yes, that's true. I've been using my own stories and part of me is thinking, well, is, is this of any use? I, I'm sure everybody's gone through this. It's very nice when somebody says, well, even one person, your story resonated with me. Let's get into the book itself. So I'll choose one out of the foundational decision mm -hmm. points. Do you play to win or do you play not to lose? Yes. Yeah. Wow. So explain that a little bit. <laughs> um, so the background is really I'd grown up as many of us of our age did with uh, parents that said, what you do is you get yourself a job in a big company that give you the kind of benefits that you need and you just stick with it until you retire and you'll be okay. And um, whether you like it or not, it's really irrelevant. And so I at 23 had gotten all of those things and I just felt there's got to be something missing at 38 I then had to get to a point and say you know what I can either now find another job because I'm really not enjoying the one that I am doing anymore or I can really go after what it is that I've been put on this earth to do this question made me reflect um and there were a couple of times in my life when I, from the outward view, threw everything away. Um, because I'd been playing not to lose. And I thought, what a great way of explaining this. So then when you start to play to win and dare to express what it is you actually want, then your life changed. So, hmm. so yes, that was one that I picked out. Now, another one foundational was, do you respect all 
people? Or do you only respect some? And this again got me reflecting because I realized that whereas in theory, I think I try to respect everybody, certainly there's there's some differentiation, can I say? Mm -hmm. So yeah. this question, do yeah. you respect all or do you respect some? Was there a story in this one? There was indeed. Yes, there was. Um, I just want to I want to perhaps just bring out, uh, if I may, a, a very good book that I've read, um, which I think I probably referred to in this chapter. I can't remember where, but it is, I do refer to it somewhere. But it's written by the Arbinger Institute, and it's called Leadership and Self-Deception. And it is a really uh, thought-provoking, and it's one of those business novel type of things. So... Um, Basically, it, it says that if you respect all, it's or, 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 or all of us go through this idea of we respect people if we see them as people, or we treat them without respect if we see them as resources. Mm. The question of who do we respect, or do we only respect the people who are ahead of us on the totem pole who can do something for us, or do we respect everyone? And the, the story that I um, that really always springs to mind there is when I was working on a consulting job at a utility company, there was a cleaner called Elizabeth, and she was an elderly lady, and she used to come in, and she had this beautiful attitude. She used to come in and you know just imagine open plan office, a room full of people all sitting working on their computers, and she will walk in and say. How are you guys doing? You're working so hard. You guys are stars. We, you, you're doing so well. <laughs> and then go and kind of clean around the desks and things. And um, whenever she had been around and she didn't want us to get up and get so that she could clean, she didn't want to get in our way. Um, I kind of approached her once in the in the corridor and asked her, well, where does this attitude come from? Why? It's first of all, congratulated her on it because it was very different and then asked her why. And um, she just said, look, she's not clever. She's not educated, but she does know that electricity is important. It was an electricity company. And obviously what we are doing must support that. So the best she can do is to support us. And she can do that by cleaning as best she can, but also to encourage us. So she decided she would encourage everybody that she comes across. If you don't have respect for the people that seemingly aren't helping you or aren't really part of your environment, I just think we'd miss out on so many lessons like this one of somebody who just had leadership down to an art of real servant leadership. Yes, and, and that story reminded me of something I'd put in an earlier podcast about you can have two people, and they were cleaners at a hospital. One person hated the job, um, mm -hmm. and the other person knew how valuable it was to keep a hospital clean, and she was saving lives. It, it's this attitude, isn't it, to work on, on mm -hmm. what we do and our set of values. So let's move to character then. Do you want to be popular or are you going to stick to the principle? Do we go for the easy way out, the popular way out? Or do we sometimes stand on principle? 
Now, obviously, sometimes it doesn't make sense to stand on principle. You know, if it's a, if it's a very minor thing, sometimes standing on principle is not the right way to go because it just causes a lot of havoc. But there are times when you have to nail your colors to the mast and you have to say, okay, the particular story here is working at a company where, um, well, we had some information on a product that showed that it had a couple of, not design flaws, but some process flaws, and they had been picked up by our um, customers. And uh, the customers wanted to come and do an audit of our processes. Um, I didn't know that we had hidden information from them. I was uh, in a management role, but the information that that had been hidden had happened in my department. We ended up in a, in a meeting Meeting, um, which was effectively most of the board and the, 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 my guy that was there. And they were talking about this visit by the client and we would have to take, myself and the design engineer would have to take them around and show them all the good things we do. And that um, that's why they wouldn't have any problems on their products and all that kind of stuff. And the, uh, the design engineer, who's a very principled guy, he just put his foot down and said, nope, this is wrong. I'm not going to do it. And he excused himself from the meeting because he didn't want, didn't want to get into a fight. I was left with the board of the company and the MD looked at me and said, are you going to be with us or are you going to be against us? So that was a kind of a pressure decision. Mm. Um, you know, on, on the one hand, if I said, okay, I'll do what you say, um, I would be going against I, I would have been really unhappy with myself. On the other hand, if I stand on principle, I could get fired because that wasn't impossible at that place. And it, it, and it wasn't, I mean, I was there for a long time. But um, if they're going to send the people over for a, for a tour, I think it's best that they send me off into a corner somewhere where I don't meet them because I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to our customers. But the, the, the story behind the story there, and that goes back to the, um, the why of the book, is that if the design engineer there hadn't put his foot down and said, no, I'm not doing it, I might have actually gone with a popular decision. Um, it's those role models that come up in our lives that, that force us to take a look at ourselves and say, okay, which way are you going to go? I'm going to have to do one more in the behavior okay. category. Promise or possibility. Yes. And yes, okay. Promise or possibility. When I think about events, there are some that come along. I'm asked whether I want to go and I put it in my diary and it's for two months time. For me, that's like a possibility. Unless I'm, unless I'm running it, it's something that might interest me. If somebody comes personally and asks me to be there and I say yes, then for me that feels like a, a promise. And probably because it's I'm committing to a person rather than to an event. Okay, so this is called the commitment decision point. And oh. uh, I had to have – I'm so glad you chose this one, by the way, because it is one that um, – is, is almost counterintuitive in terms of where it is in the structure. 
because obviously we value integrity. We, you know, the, all the things that you stand by your word and your word is your bond and all those kind of things. And if we promise something on, I say I'm going to do it, then you must trust me that I would do it. Mm. And the example I've used here, because it was, it was one that kind of annoyed me, but it, um, I've worked with various companies. So I'll take out how two different companies have looked at supplier payments. So the one which was, um, I'm not going to mention any names, um, they looked at any supplier com uh, commitment as an absolute promise. And, and as a result of that, that was one of their values. They built up over time a cash reserve. And they, when they spent money, they made sure the money was around for them to pay it. And it was in really the rarest circumstance where they could not pay. And they ended up, if, if they couldn't pay somebody, they actually let phone the guy, no matter how big or small this guy was, and they used to say, look, we, we can't pay, we're so sorry, all the rest. The reputational harm, the financial harm was a lot less damaging to them than the personal harm of not having acted with integrity. Okay. On the other hand, there was another company I worked with who it was a completely different industry. So I've got to understand they had a lot more overheads and that kind of stuff, but they used to just order things, you know, and normally we all know kind of ERP systems. And when you put a purchase order, that's a commitment. Yes. I mean, I think even the financial people will say that's a commitment, but um, whether you're going to pay or not is really dependent on whether there's money in the bank at the time when the invoice comes. Uh, the problem was was that when they couldn't pay, the way that it was handled was something that really worried me, let's say, where it was, and it's, it's good cash flow management, I suppose. You pay the guys that you need to pay in order to keep running, and the other guys that you don't need to, well, they're just, you know, they're just at the back of the line, and if they don't get paid, then so be it. Unfortunately, that's very often the small businesses small businesses like you and I are. And, um, <laughs> I was just thinking the same. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that because I never got paid because that wasn't <laughs> the nature of our contract. But, um, but there were a lot of people that just never got paid and that really couldn't afford to not get paid. Uh, so it, in, in their case, it was a case of let's just keep the thing running and we'll pay if and when we can. And the problem was when they could see they weren't paying somebody, they didn't phone them. Oh. They just waited for them to phone and complain. Um, oh. And that, I think, was the part that really got me where it says, okay, so basically, when you make a commitment, all you're doing is wanting to extend the period and have a renegotiation later. It's not the same as a promise. No. And when I was answering the questions at the end about commitments, um, I also, and, and this is a subject for another day, but I also thought it's easier sometimes to meet the commitments that we've made to somebody else than it is to do the things that we've committed to do for ourselves and nobody notices, yeah. you know. Get up in the morning, yes, I'm going to do my yoga or whatever it is. They, they are harder because nobody's watching us, but it's still a commitment and we don't feel good about ourselves if we don't if we don't do it. There's the book. I'm just going to repeat it. It's called Decision Point by Dieter Janssen. 
with a J. Mm -hmm. And where can we get a hold of it? I think I might have bought it on Amazon. Yep, it's on Amazon um, in hard copy uh, and on Kindle for ebook. Um, I think from about April, at, at some point, it'll, I'll put it onto other platforms as an ebook as well. Um, <clears throat> it's also, if, if people in South Africa happen to be listening, we can get it as a hard copy from Take A Lot, which would be uh, the local the local Amazon. <laughs> and, Take A Lot. <laughs> uh, yep, that's what it's called. And um, yeah, I'm hoping that in the near future, as in two to three months, I, it would be on audio um, platforms as well. I'm still busy getting that sorted out. Are you going to read it? Of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> got to use the accent for something. <laughs> yeah, you've got to do that. Oh, okay. So thank you so much, Dieter. It's been a pleasure talking to you as always. And uh, thank you for saying that you'd come on the podcast. I'm sure that it's been interesting to people to hear about your life and your decision points. And if they want to know more, then they know what to do. They can buy the book. That's it. Thank you very much for the opportunity and always fun to chat to you, Jill, as always. You're very welcome. So thanks everybody for listening and uh, please click on follow if you want to get reminders about the next podcast. And as usual, I love to see your comments. So goodbye for now.